BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. As you know, we work to bring you every day the important stories that the mainstream media so often fail to, go, to, co- to cover. And tonight we've got Joe Weber, news editor of JustTheNews.com. He's in. He's joining us today with a really important story. Joe, thanks so much for, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Look, everybody in the country right now, it seems like all they're covering is impeachment, but there are actually really significant things also happening around the world. Just today, a UN watchdog came out with a really important report. What's in it? Yes, this is the Atomic Energy Agency of the United Nations, and they gave a confidential report to their members saying that just a couple days ago, Iran has made a bit of uh, nuclear-grade uranium, produced it. Now, this is quite coincidental because we just talked to we were editor, just down with Joel, Joel Rosenberg. Yes, you just, 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 just had Joel Rosenberg yesterday, and when you say nuclear grade, this means that it could be weapons-ready uranium. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you can have nuclear-enriched uh, uranium to do stuff, other things to have, let's say, energy plant. But mm-hmm. this is—they've detected it. The agency, as a matter of fact, the agency is sort of monitors um, pieces of equipment that comes in and does that. It's, um, odd that they would attempt to do this uh, right under the nose of the agency, but um, nevertheless, and this just sets about a whole sort of geopolitical issue in terms of, you know, what we talked about. Well, what will President Biden do now? He said he was going to join, but they had to, you know, more or less behave. Mind them, but, you know, here they violated the rules or flaunted uh, this 2015 international agreement not to do that uh, within what, you know, with less than two weeks of his presidency. Yeah, so this is obviously a major development. We've covered Israel issues here extensively. We've talked about the Trump administration's foreign policy successes in regards to Israel, not only the Abraham Accords and this kind of solid relationship, but also the much harder line that President Trump took against Iran. Of course, he went out and he killed Qasem Soleimani, who was one of the leaders of the Iranian... Uh, forces, which many of our viewers remember, Iran is still the number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world. So the big question for the Biden administration was always, what kind of policy are they going to pursue? Are they going to go back to the Barack Obama policy of working with Iran, kind of signing this agreement, which upsets so many people who are supporters of Israel? Or are they going to follow Donald Trump's lead, where we were creating peace in the Middle East, taking a much stronger line, supporting Israel and opposing Iran? Iran. And now this report from the UN watchdog is basically saying that Iran is in the process of creating weapons-grade uranium. That's right. Yeah, this really presents a problem for him. Uh, As you know, the Obama administration was the one who entered that international agreement with eight other nations, uh, suggesting that if Iran gets monitored and it deaccelerates their nuclear weapons or their rich uranium enrichment program, then they'll ease the sanctions. And Trump came in not very long after being elected or in office and said, you know, um, I don't trust you guys. I don't believe that you're following the uh, you know, rules of the, of the accord. We're out. 
So now I don't know what President Obama, I mean Biden, will have to do, but he's really going to have to uh, think this thing through because they've already challenged him, presumably challenged him. Yes. In, you know the very couple first days of his presidency. Look, and, and it's often the case that new presidents are challenged by America's adver adversaries very early on in their presidency. This certainly looks like that kind of challenge. I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu was extraordinarily clear about the dangers of the Iran deal when Obama was in office, and he warned that Iran would cheat. He warned that Iran would pursue a nuclear deal. We've also seen Israel very recently giving strong indications that they are prepared to strike Iranian nuclear facilities. Most recently, the Iranians struck a facility in Syria back airstrike. in 2007. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a big airstrike. And we also know that the Iranian military has asked for increased funding. They're right now trying to purchase additional missiles, bombs, etc., so that one would think, the, the thinking goes, after an initial salvo, they'd actually have the uh, uh, missiles, bombs, material that they need to replenish and actually engage in a, what could be an extended war with, with Iran. So those are the kinds of signals that we're seeing. What kind of challenge does this present for, for Biden? Well, first, it's somewhat perplexing to me in terms of uh, the withering sanctions that have been imposed upon them. Yeah. And they would, you would think that maybe they would want to try to make peace or, you know, for lack of better words, behave or follow the agreement at the very least and to hopefully, you know, make some sort of an agreement with Biden because he seems to be willing to do that and ease these withering sanctions. So um, I just don't really see their, you know, political strategy yeah. uh, on this. But, um, you know, Biden, I guess, you know, he's going to hopefully he'll hold himself to his own word. And he won't re-enter this agreement until, you know, they follow the terms of it with the remaining countries that are still in it. Yeah. Well, Joe, we really appreciate you and the entire Just the News team following stories like this because, again, while the whole world here might be focused on what's happening with this impeachment trial, there are threats, and a threat of a nuclear Iran is a major potential threat yeah. overseas. And just one yeah. point of that, yeah. too, as a matter of yeah. fact, you know, there's always been this sort of feeling in the um, intelligence community that, you know, with all this discord, this effort to try to impeach President Trump, and that, you know, things might just quite happen under the radar yes. while no one's looking, too. So, you know, that's well, Not there were a lot of people who, who actually pointed to the moves that China made during the coronavirus pandemic. And exactly. the thought was always, it's a very simple thought, that if a country, any country, is distracted by things that are happening domestically, their adversaries might take strong action overseas. A lot of people pointed to the moves that the that the that China made and the Chinese military made during coronavirus in that regard, the conflict between China and India, and now you've got Iran with a new Biden administration stepping up really strongly. Well, I know you and the team are going to continue to report on this. We really yes. appreciate it. Thank you. Coming back to what is happening here, you've got a story up right now at justthenews.com. If the Democrats hoped that they were going to convince other Republicans in the Senate. Certainly looks like some odd choices of people who they're putting forward. What, what do yeah, we know? Particularly yeah. um, Eric Swalwell, who's the Republic, I mean, the Democrat from California. He is one of the nine impeachment managers. He went on today. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Mr. Swalwell or Congressman Swalwell. He has been a Trump critic from the very beginning, even from, you know, from the day Literally, the president got into the office. He was pushing for the uh, Russia collusion investigation, which President Trump colluding with Russia that was un unfounded, unproven at this point. He was for the first impeachment, and he was for the second impeachment. 
Uh, so he's not going to really convince any Republicans uh, that he's, you know, his impartial. His has been completely biased from yeah. the very beginning. He yeah. pushed the whole Russia collusion hoax, which, which the reporting of John Solomon, you and the team and yeah. others have just really um, demonstrated was just that a hoax. Swalwell was pushing that, but now he's the guy who's actually in the, you know, the well of the Senate right. talking about So you've got to get yeah. 17 Republican uh, senators to vote with all the Democrats to get the 67 votes. I don't see where the strategy with Democratic leadership appointing him where they thought this was this guy was going to, you know, um, persuade anybody. It would seem to me that he comes in with a, a pretty strong sort of, you know, uh, anti-Trump bias to begin with. And he was recently in the news for his own um, yeah. interactions with uh, alleged purported Chinese spy. Yeah, December yeah. 20. 2020, just several months ago, reports came out that uh, he had a um, relationship or connection to a woman who was an alleged uh, Chinese spy connected directly to the Chinese Communist Party, uh, a fundraiser, very close and, and so influential enough that he, she actually got uh, someone placed in a job in his congressional office. Mm. So uh, even Ted Cruz said that, you know, interesting uh, what he's going to hear, what he has to say, he has a, a pretty unusual strategy here. <laughs> yeah, well, good. Well, we're certainly we're certainly gonna gonna keep keep our keep our eyes on it. It certainly seems like the Democrats are in many ways playing to their base. Uh, this no one believes that they're going to get 17 Republican senators to convict President Trump over this. Yeah, there's not the evidence there. It doesn't make sense. But 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 we will see. Uh, also, number one trending story right now at justthenews.com. Representative Steve Scalise came out with with an interesting comment. I love this. Yeah, yeah. he was witty. It's a, it's a soundbite that's going to get a lot of traction. Like you said, it's a number one trending story. This was off of a podcast from John Solomon, who does a lot of them and breaks a lot of news off of those. Yeah. He said that the uh, children should get their own union. Now, this is vis-a-vis uh, -vis this problem here we have with trying to get our kids back to school. And the teachers' unions around the country, particularly in Chicago, third largest um, public school district in the country, they have continuously put up barriers to try to get kids back yeah, to school. The teachers' unions don't want to go. And Steve Scalise is saying, well, maybe it's time that there was a children's union to actually advocate for kids. That's on John Solomon Reports. Check out that podcast, which you can also find at justthenews.com. When we come back, Ben Bergquam, he's been on the ground, on the front lines again in D.C. We'll be back in just a second. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. Well, he was with us last night, and he's with us again today. We're joined now by Ben Bergquam, Real America's Voice correspondent, and he's been out on the front lines in Washington, D.C. He's going to continue to be out there throughout the week. Ben, thank you. We appreciate you. It's even snowing tonight, and you're still out there on the front lines. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure, Eric. Absolutely. So, Ben, what do we know from today? Give our give our viewers an update on uh, on what what happened with the impeachment and what you're seeing on the ground, please. Well, first off, uh, if if you're the general public out there and you were not familiar 
uh, with what happened on January 6th. I would say the Democrats did a, uh, a good job of inflating and of, of scaring the American people. I watched uh, most of the coverage today. The irony, though, and the reason I brought you to this location, we're not at the Capitol. I've been down at the Capitol all day uh, yesterday as well and the day before. The reason I'm here out in front of the White House again is because this is truly where the insurrection began. And it didn't begin on January 6th or in the weeks or months even before that. It began four years ago when President Trump, even before President Trump took office, and the Democrats said that they were going to remove him from office. They said they were going to impeach him uh, even before the first day. They telegraphed everything that they were going to do from the Russia collusion hoax and coup attempt to the, the failed Ukrainian quid pro quo, which we all know now it was actually Joe Biden who committed quid pro quo. Uh, to all of the violence that we saw over this summer by BLM and even before that with Antifa. And I'm standing right next to the church again that they tried to mm. burn down that has fencing around it as well still to this day that has capitulated to Black Lives Matter and to the, the mob that has terrorized America for the last four years and put up banners of Black Lives Matter. The same fence that we see down at the Capitol is now uh, out in front of the White House. Now that was set up there almost a year ago uh, when BLM and Antifa tried to storm the White House. And the, the audacity of the Democrats to come out and say that President Trump is the one who caused what happened on January 6th. And we all agree it was a terrible thing. We saw the videos. A lot of us were out there. We were covering it and we didn't see it that day. We saw footage afterwards, most of us. But we can all agree that that was bad. But we, where it started, you have to go back to the source and the political violence and the vitriol and the evil language that we heard for four years was not coming from President Trump. It was coming from the left. We saw the Democrats today lay out their case. They have 16 hours to do it. They're about halfway through that. The next, though, pre uh, the, the, uh, President Trump and his defense team will have an opportunity to rebuttal. And what I really hope, and, and the folks that I was talking to on the ground today really hope, is that they come out strong. They come out and lay out that case, even starting here if they have to. Show the videos, show the audio of, of Democrats uh, showing effigies of President Trump's decapitated head and everything that they had done over the last four years. That's really what, what uh, folks are hoping to see. And then as well, I'm also hearing the one thing that I keep hearing over and over is this is an opportunity. He wasn't able to do it in front of the Supreme Court. He wasn't able to do it in front of the legislature. Uh, this is an opportunity for President Trump to lay out the election uh, voter fraud that uh, that clearly many of us saw uh, evidence of over you know the last several months. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. As you mentioned, though, there there are not the votes in the House. We saw 44 Republicans say it's unconstitutional. If it's unconstitutional, then therefore you cannot vote uh, regardless of the evidence. Yeah, that's right. So you've got 44 Republican senators already saying that the entire proceeding is unconstitutional. I think it's so important what you mentioned, Ben, uh, right there at the beginning, is that you can go back and you can look at when President Trump was elected from the moment that he took office. What were they talking about doing? They were talking about impeaching President Trump. And for years, they subjected the American people to this false Russia collusion hoax, which all turned out to be baseless and we now know because of the documented reporting of John Solomon and others at justthenews.com that the Christopher Steele dossier the entire basis for that Russia collusion hoax he admitted 
in writing. The documents are there. Our viewers can go out to justthenews.com and read them. Admitted that the entire reason for that was to distract from Hillary Clinton's email scandal. And as you've pointed That's out, right. you know, months after that, you had Nancy Pelosi going out saying that the election of 2016 was hijacked by the Russians. Absolutely right. false, completely baseless what the left was pushing against President Trump. And they've continued to attack him. And now we're seeing, I think what everyone has recognized is some people have called it a snap impeachment, a drive-by impeachment where they didn't bring any evidence in. They decided to impeach President Trump for the second time. And what do we find? Again, you can go out to justthenews.com. All of the reporting is there that shows that the folks of the FBI have arrested for that terrible attack against the Capitol. They were plotting and planning that. It sounds like the allegations are back in November. So it's absolutely illogical to suggest that President Trump incited something which was pre-planned by others and, by the way, started before he even started speaking. Ben, it's, it's obviously snowing in Washington, D.C. Last night, you gave our viewers a sense for the kind of military lockdown that's out there. Has that eased at all today? Are you seeing more people on the streets and, and people, you know, protesting in, uh, for, for either side? No, in fact, it's gotten worse today. I was out uh, earlier this morning and uh, throughout the day. Uh, and it basically looked about the same as you see behind me, only with uh, the sun shining. Uh, this, the, the, the city is completely locked down. I mean, most people, what's odd and eerie is uh, a lot of people are no longer here. And it's the same thing across cities, across the, the metro cities across America, where people now work from home. COVID and the lockdowns has, has forced in many ways people out of the cities. And Washington, D.C. feels like a ghost town. It feels like a militarized town. And the scariest part to me, although they're saying that the lockdown in the, the perimeter, which is about four miles from my walk yesterday, took me about an hour to get around it, uh, is, is set to be you know, up through mid-March. I spoke to uh, Capitol Police today, and they said there's, it's indefinite how long it will be up. And it really feels like it's a permanent fixture. And when you walk around it, you can't help but notice how similar it feels to if you've ever been to any Soviet countries or any uh, totalitarian countries, like a military compound around the government facilities where the, the walls are there to keep the people out and protect the elites and the government. That is what, unfortunately, Washington, D.C. is really starting to feel like. Not a, not a nation of we the people, uh, one nation under God, but a nation of them the government. And uh, it's concerning. And watching the the testimony today, it is clear you know, they could not have orchestrated what happened. They, I mean, the yeah. Democrats could not have orchestrated what happened on January 6th any better to justify their move towards more intolerance, more censorship, more lockdown, and more stealing of the American people's rights. That is my big concern coming out of this, regardless of what happens. Like, you, you know, we all know it's pretty much a foregone conclusion, the outcome of this trial. But what it seems to me is setting up for more loss of freedom for yeah. the American people. And that is really what concerns me. Well, I think what's concerned a lot of Americans is that you've watched the way the left has decided to completely abandon reason. <clears throat> They've completely abandoned evidence. They're just pushing their policies. When you look even 
and a lot of the coronavirus policies. When you can see right. the evidence is clearly there that states like Florida, even with the elderly population that Florida has, are doing better by almost every metric than states like California, which have had these severe lockdowns. It just suggests that this was politically motivated rather than being rooted in evidence. And I think we're seeing the same thing here. You have a massive military presence, thousands of troops who are being deployed to the Capitol, and no one in the Biden administration has identified the clear threat to justify keeping the American people away from their elected representatives, keeping them away from their house, from the United States, uh, from the United States Capitol. Ben, we've got just about uh, about two minutes left. As you have been talking to folks on the ground, and we recognize you're kind of a man on the street who's the only man on the street at times because so many people have left nope, D.C. Got one more. <laughs> but, you, but you have talked to a few folks um, who are out there. Just there are, you know, people forget uh, in Washington, D.C., of course, it's the nation's capital, but there are also small business owners. There are people who run shops, who run laundromats, people who run restaurants, people who are, are trying to make a life in Washington, D.C. You do such a good job of connecting to those folks. They, many of them, still have to be in Washington, D.C., because that's where their family business is. What are you hearing from them? Devastation, utter total devastation. And you mentioned that. I just want to touch on that real quick. We've seen that in California, the, uh, the total destruction of the economy based on lies about COVID. Lies by, perpetrated by the Democrats. They knew they were lies. And all you had to do was wait until the after the election and the inauguration. And all of a sudden, they changed the parameters for de determining what a COVID case is. And lo and behold, the, the cases dropped 40%. This was an attack on our election, an attack on our sovereignty. It was done. It, it, the, the entire economy was shut down in order to justify a massive vote by mail, uh, a scandal really, to destroy the election. And all of, all of a sudden it's turning back around. It is utterly disgusting. And when you're talking to business owners that get it, uh, they, you know, many of them are saying, we're not going to make it or or I have 10 other friends that I know that aren't going to make it. And, yeah, there's a lot and that's of, really the tragedy in all of this. Everything has become politicized. A lot of hardship, a lot of despair as the left continues to politicize these events. Well, Ben, we appreciate you being out there. Appreciate you especially braving it in the snow for all of our viewers so that they can get a live look at what is happening in your nation's capital. Thank you, Ben. We know we'll, we'll be back with more from you. Well, folks, stay right with us here on Actionable Intelligence. We'll be back in just a minute. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 
Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Reitens. Well, earlier today, I was hosting the War Room with Steve Bannon, honored to serve as his co-host, right aside Raheem Kassam. We had a chance to speak with Rudy Giuliani. It was a great session. Have a listen. So, Rudy, your podcast, you know, I don't know which podcast is hotter, whether it's Raheem Kassam's National Pulse is pretty hot, or Rudy Giuliani's Common Sense, but I'd like... It's complimentary. They issue a mashup. It's complimentary, but competition is always helpful. But yours, you've dropped a new one, and you've kind of pivoted to a bigger topic that only you, as a world figure, I think, can help to take on and a student of history. And particularly given your, you're, you're an Anglophile and your, 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 your great, uh, uh, you really honor Winston Churchill. Remember, mm-hmm. Raheem, the first thing we did in the Trump administration, besides hanging the portrait of Andrew Jackson. The great populace. We we put Churchill's. We took Churchill's bus back in and yes. and put it in. I think Biden was one of the first ones to put it back in the garage, um, and, and box it up. So Rudy, talk to us about your your podcast. Is now your podcast the other day? It's now up. Rudy's Common Sense, one of the top ten in the country. You're now putting the sights on the Chinese Communist Party and exactly what the plan is, how it rolls into this whole CCP virus how they're trying to become the dominant hegemon. Walk us through, what did you say, and, and why is this important right now? Well, the CCP goals supplant the U.S. by 2049 is the name of it. And really, it's a, um, it's a warning to us, a reminder to us that we've made this mistake before. Uh, we ignored Hitler. We should have been prepared. It was easy to figure out what he was going to do. He wrote it. We ignored uh, Stalin, treated him like a friend when it was quite, quite clear he was going to turn on us as soon as World War II was over. And uh, more personally for me, because I was there when the attack took place, we ignored bin Laden. He declared war on us. He told us he was going to attack us. He told us he was going to come and kill us. And uh, we let him go. And let's not do it again. Uh, Xi Jinping has told us that he wants to take us out as the world leader. He, he wants China to lead the world by 2049. Just think of the implications for the world if a homicidal dictatorship that uh, that's dedicated to co- communism, uh, dedicated to a small group of people, what are the 90 million, 100 million out of a billion plus who rule as oligarchs, they rule the world? I mean, that would be uh, absurd. I mean, it would be terrible. We'd have a world uh, ruled by a dictatorship or guided by a dictatorship. And I think we were fooled for a long time with, you know, uh, the peaceful rise. I talk about that a little bit. You know, there were books about it and China was going to grow and they were going to be like just a friendly panda bear. We'd have a couple of economic disputes. But meanwhile, the guy is building up his military to match ours. He's uh, challenging Japan in the South China Sea, uh, Vietnam, uh, of course, Taiwan is an ancient one, and directly challenges the U.S. Trump, one of his great contributions, Trump was the first American president to really recognize that. Bush 43, Obama, both lived under the, the illusion that this was a friendly uh, competitor not a, an enemy in the sense of, you know, military. Uh, Trump got it right away. 
changed our policies toward challenging them very effectively. And now I'm worried that Biden, who has been very soft on China, Kerry, who was almost the secretary of state they wanted, they, they liked Kerry a lot better than Hillary. And during that period of time, they got everything they wanted. And we now find out that Joe's family and Joe got millions from them and was in partnership with Chinese communists just two years ago. So I'm very worried that we're going to lose the momentum that the Trump administration began. We lose that momentum. We lose the world. Uh, we become number two. It's not a joke. Look, <clears throat> the rest of the world should worry about it as much as we do. The mayor is a student of history, right? He talked about Hitler. And, you know, one, one moment from history. There's a moment where FDR and Churchill are talking, and they're talking about what to call the war. So we now refer to it as World War I and World War II, but of course at the time they didn't know what to refer to it as. And FDR is saying to Churchill, he says, what should we call this war? And Churchill says to him, the unnecessary war. Why was it unnecessary? Because Churchill was day after day, month after month, throughout the 1930s, while he was ridiculed by people, ridiculed by people, he was raising the alarm about Hitler day after day. And he had people who were working to do this, and it was unnecessary. It's good that we've got people who are and, out there. And they tried to destroy Hitler. I mean, they tried to destroy Churchill. He was totally marginalized. Was he not Rahim Kassam? He was oh. totally marginalized. You see him going yeah. after Rudy every day? This is how they went after Hitler. You, I went you, after Churchill. You can't... Um... You can't look at the way they've treated Donald Trump without thinking about the way that the British Parliament treated Winston Churchill. Just the derision, the utter, you know, the institutional derision from from Parliament and all the the apparatchiks towards Churchill is exactly the same thing we're seeing now. And I have to say, I know for a lot of people, especially people of my age or younger, when they hear, no offense, guys, older people. Mm -hmm talking about historical events, sometimes the eyes can glaze over, right? Sometimes, oh, you know, that was a hundred odd years ago. And I have this to say to them. Antifa is a real and modern contemporaneous threat with its roots in that same period of big history. Time, big time. And if you can see Antifa going around and you know that Antifa is going around, then why should you believe that any of the other challenges from a hundred years ago have gone away rudy you're you're a great admirer of churchill walk us through we got about four minutes here walk us through to have a churchill moment here where you're actually so hunkered down and and say to the whole world that this is what's going to happen walk us through how rudy giuliani turns this into his churchill moment well i think uh, i think you were both referring to it i mean the reality is that churchill saw what other people didn't see and was willing to stick with it, even though they were trying to make and succeeded in, in, in many quarters of making a fool out of him. But he didn't he didn't back off what he believed in. And eventually it helped to save Western civilization. Uh, that must have been many times in the 30s when there was a feeling like maybe I should stop saying this because they're ridiculing me. And the same way they're try, trying to do to us, they're trying to they're trying to shut us up, keep us quiet. Uh, just sub submit to their superior wisdom and their there superior was entire wisdom, uh, ignorance industry there was an industry in britain this is important to recognize industry in britain of people 
built around hating Winston Churchill. Exactly. They wrote books exactly. about him. They were cops. If you wanted yeah. to get a cheer, there was a time that in, in British history where if if you know folks wanted to get a cheer, they could just yell something negative about Winston Churchill. In the same way today on the left, well, they, can, they can yell something negative <laughs> about Mayor Giuliani, about Donald no, Trump. They said, to get unfortunately, we're back at that period in Britain now about Winston Churchill. Yeah. Uh, but no, they call him yeah. a warmonger. So, Rudy, right. the question, we got a couple minutes left. The question, are you going to back down at all? I mean, they're coming at you from every different direction. And as you get more uh, vocal about the Chinese Communist Party, and people should remember the CCP does not pick out random dates. 2049 would be randomly the 100th anniversary of their beating Chiang Kai-shek in, the, uh, in this great civil war that not after World War II, it was all part of World War II, yeah. that when, they, when the nationalists left for Taiwan, right, uh, the, 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 the communists uh, won, that, that would be the 100th anniversary that they could declare world hege hegemony, right, the hegemony that they would actually get. This is a major goal of theirs, and they got all kind of step functions. So, Rudy, now that you're now into the CCP big time, they're going to come after you even with a more intensity. Are you going to, for our audience, are you going to back down one inch? No, probably get more intense about it. I mean, the reality is that during 2020 and the pandemic, I, uh, it really alerted me that the infiltration of the CCP in the United States is much greater than I thought. I mean, I was very worried about the CCP two years ago and three years ago. But wa watching how... Uh, the, the reaction to uh, President Trump calling it the China virus, uh, the ridiculous reaction to that uh, from American companies and uh, people you wouldn't expect. So that, that started me reading a lot more and looking into it a lot more. And they have bought a lot of America. I mean, they've bought our patriotism and they've bought our dedication to our country of a lot of people. It's disgusting. And, they, and, and now we've got a president that could be the worst possible choice. At a period of time like this, it was, you know, a large part of his career, he was compromised by China. So I think we've got to speak out and we've got to, we've got to make this a major, major focus so we don't slip too far. I am encouraged by Blinken taking a somewhat different view. I don't know if I should believe it or not. He said they're going to keep up the Trump aggressive policies toward China. Wow. I got to have you know. start listening to the war room more. Jesus, I don't know. He's I, sad. Mean, I don't no. know. That, that that could be by that could be a definite head fake. Uh, <laughs> and then if you look at his, uh, if you look at his, hey, executive Rudy, order, Rudy, 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 we got to pop. I, I, can you, once again, the podcast? Everybody's got to get it. How do they get to the podcast? How do they get to your daily radio show? We got about thirty seconds. They go to rudyscommonsense.com and they get the podcast, and they go to wabcradio.com and get it all over the country. By the way, 3 o'clock every day, you gotta, you got to listen to Rudy's. Uh, the WABC show is amazing. Then you get the podcast, and we're going to game on here as much as uh, possible. That's why I stopped doing my 3 p.m. I, I couldn't you, compete. You put the national pulse <laughs> out of business. Out Rudy of business, Giuliani, <laughs> we're going to get your social media coordinates up next. Thank you, Mayor. Thanks for joining us. That was earlier today with Steve Bannon, Rudy Giuliani, and Raheem Kassam on The War Room. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Boris Epstein. He was a Trump 2020 strategic advisor. He has been watching this impeachment closely. He's got some key insights. Stay right with us.
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Well, welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. A lot is happening in Washington, D.C. The world's eyes are focused on what is happening with this impeachment. And as you know, here at Actionable Intelligence, we love to bring you the perspectives that big tech and the left so often seek to silence. Joining us now, Boris Epstein, 2020 strategic advisor and former special assistant to President Trump. He's been with the president from the beginning. Boris, thank you so much for joining us tonight, sir. I want to I want to start thank you here so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet, man. You bet. Look, you've been with the president from the beginning. You've seen the ups and downs. You watched how the mainstream media attacked him day after day. You've seen how the left attacked him. You watched through the Russia collusion hoax and all of these different attacks. I want to get in a moment your your opinion on, on the particulars of, of today and yesterday. But first, it's been my contention that this has been so blatantly political that President Trump is actually going to emerge stronger from this second impeachment. What, what's your analysis? I agree with you. I think the Democrats are overreaching by so much. They're making themselves out to be even bigger clowns than usual. <laughs> that, you know, and that man, could people see right through the charade of an impeachment. It's yes. unconstitutional. It's baseless in law and in fact. And I think because of it, President Trump and the MAGA movement are only going to emerge more, more powerful, more united, stronger. I gave that quote, I think, to USA Today was out there today. I think the 45th and hopefully the 47th president is going to come out on top after this impeachment, as he did after the, the previous sham impeachment that the Democrats perpetrated a year ago. So, you know, the Democrats, they don't learn their lesson. They keep stepping in on these rakes and hitting themselves in the face. But that's what they're doing with this impeachment again, I think. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, it's certainly my impression that you ask anybody, you ask any American, if you're going to charge somebody uh, with, with any kind of offense, shouldn't you hear the evidence? And what actually happened in the House was everybody saw this was a drive-by impeachment, a snap impeachment. There was no time for hearings. There was no time for evidence. And in fact, because of the fantastic reporting of John Solomon and others, what's become extraordinarily clear is that this charge of incitement is completely baseless. Why? Because this was something that was this that was pre-planned. Boris, on the war room, you talked about the three key elements about this being unconstitutional, about this baseless charge of incitement, about election fraud and election integrity. Walk our viewers through those three pillars, please. It's the three vectors I keep talking about, Governor. Thanks for bringing those up. Number one, the fact that this sham is unconstitutional. Yep. There's no basis in the Constitution at all to impeach a former president. That's why they don't even know who should preside. Chief Justice Roberts said he's out. Now you've got Patrick, oh, you're Patrick Leahy, the, the Senator Leahy of Vermont, who's left of Mao Zedong, and he's both judge and jury because he gets to actually vote uh, you know, on, right. on the motion, such as the motion to dismiss he'll vote right. on the on the final decision whether to convict. So this whole thing is unconstitutional. That's vector one. Vector two, there was no incitement whatsoever. The president specifically said march peacefully and patriotically. Yeah. 
to the capitals, and that's very clear. And number three, you know, the Democrats and their comrades in the media and in big tech, I call them the Troika, right, the Democrat politicians, yes. big tech, and the media, the Troika perpetrated this thing that where they try to say that any discussion, any claim of election fraud, voter fraud, is quote-unquote the big lie. They're mm. saying that... The, the Republicans engaged in the big lie. Well, first of all, as, as someone who's Jewish, as are you, Governor, yes. you, you know, you're one of the most successful Jewish politicians out there, and I'm Thank very you. proud of, to, you know, to be talking to you, partly because of that. You know, as Jews, that's very worrying to us, right? Because yeah. the, the term, the big lie, comes out of, straight out of Adolf Hitler that's and right. Mein Kampf. And that's what Adolf Hitler claimed the Jews perpetrated on, uh, regarding to World War One and how Germany lost World War One. Yes. So now Republicans are saying, "Well, it's it's it's, it's it's Democrats are saying it's Republicans who are perpetrating the big lie." That is absolute nonsense. It is not the big lie to talk about real election fraud that occurred, real violations of Article Two of the Constitution that occurred, and the fact that what the Democrats did is expand balloting through unchecked mail ballots, and then they got rid of the check. Yeah. So that's why you had in Pennsylvania, just in Philadelphia, Allegheny counties, over 700,000 mail-in and absentee ballots that were, that were counted, but they were not observed. That's why you had over 200,000 unlawful ballots in Wisconsin, over 400,000 unlawful ballots in, um, uh, in, in, in Georgia. That's, that's how you got there. So those are the three pillars, unconstitutional, no incitement, and yes, it is legitimate to talk about election fraud, voter fraud. I hope that we see all three of those uh, in President Trump's defense. I hope the defense is uh, is more robust and, and stronger than they were on their first day. Yes. We're being told that it should be, and uh, and I think that is absolutely necessary because the defense, you know, just I always say the campaign should represent uh, the candidate. The defense should always represent the client, and here the client is Donald J. Trump and the MAGA movement, and and the MAGA movement and the president demand strength. Well, I think that absolutely the, the president, the MAGA movement demands strength. We're hearing from a lot of people. They want to see a much more robust defense, not only in this trial, but I'd, I'd love you to get your reflections, Boris. When you look at this moment where the Republican Party is at, because there's a tremendous amount of frustration, people look at the Republican establishment and in some ways they feel like they're even worse than the Democrats. At least the Democrats, you know, tell you what they're doing, that that leftist agenda is right out front, right in the center. But a lot of people and just average Americans feel like the Republican establishment hasn't been fighting for them. What's your take? Well, Governor, you know that President Trump beat the Republican establishment in yep. 2016 before yep. he beat the Democrat establishment. So yes. is it really any shocker that the Republican establishment isn't so excited about continuing to have President Trump be the leader of the Republican Party? But here's the deal. I, I, I said this today on the Seb Gorka show. I said this today when you and I were on the warm. It's all about representing your constituents. It's actually pretty simple. You know this, right? Yeah. You're a, you're an elected official. When you were governor of Missouri, right? Yes. Your job was to represent your constituents. That's right. And right? you did that. That's you right. did that very well. You knew what your mandate was. Liz Cheney's job was to represent the people of Wyoming, but instead she votes to impeach <laughs> the president of her own right. party, and now her approval rating is at 10, 13 percent. You think the, the the Republicans of Louisiana are in favor of what Governor Cass of, of what Senator Cassidy did yesterday? Absolutely not. You're already hearing it from Louisiana right. GOP. They're extremely disappointed. And that seemed like a snap decision to me. I think, you know, it's one of those times when an elected official doesn't have a staff around him and just makes a bad mistake. Mm -hmm. But those mistakes can be very costly to a politician. 
Yeah, and Boris, if you would, you're, you are a tremendous student of history. Uh, we've seen so many people, so many Americans who've stood up, whose families actually came to the United States of America in search of freedom. That, of course, your family came here in search of freedom. We From did. your perspective, given that history, what's your message to your fellow Americans today about why it is so important to stand up and to fight for the republic? The reason it's important is because people like me and my family, I was 11, mm -hmm. you know, we came here, we were running away from the rubble of socialism, the rubble of communist Russia, the anti-Semitism, you know, I, I was called, me, me and my dad on our last day in, in, in the former Soviet Union in Moscow, we went to the store, my dad had to spend some of our last rubles, and we were called the worst epithet you could call a Jewish person. The K word, okay, in Russian. We screamed at on our last day. I know what that's like. I know what that it feels like to be a kid in a, in a place where they hate you for who you are. And we can't allow for America to become that. Yeah. America is the is the land of opportunity. It's the greatest political experiment in the history of this world. And if we allow the hateful leftists, and these, and by the way, these leftists are a direct this they're direct descendants of Trotsky, yeah. of Marx of Lenin, because that is that is from who the, the, the dictatorship of the proletariat comes. So this sort of dictatorship of the woke mob, this didn't start today, didn't start a year ago, didn't start with Occupy Wall Street. This goes back to the, the very roots of communism. So the, the communist manifesto of Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, and then on to Lenin and Trotsky, Stalin and so forth. And by the way, the Nazis were leftists too, people don't realize that. But it's where the political spectrum comes together, the far left and the far right. So there's huge danger in the silencing, the, the, the absolute censorship of mm. conservatives. And we have to stand up. We have to stand tall. We cannot appease these extremists and allow them to silence us because that is their goal. They're, you know, the ridiculousness today I saw where, you know, it's no longer breast milk, it's chest milk. Come on. This, that's straight out of 1984. They're trying to control how we speak, Governor, right? right. And it, it'd be, right. You're right. It's funny, right? But it wouldn't be funny if it weren't so scary. It's well, scary. And I don't want my little boy. I've got a kid to be five next month. I don't want him growing up in that environment. That's right. I want him to feel free. If he wants to be a liberal, be a liberal. If he wants to be a conservative, be a conservative. That's the beauty of America, not this dictatorship that the woke mob wants to perpetrate. Yes, and I think one of the things that's so, been so crazy about the whole year of 2020 and now into 2021 was that if you had told someone at the end of 2019, no, the American government's going to come in and they're going to tell people that they can't go to church. The American government's going to come in and tell people that they can't send their kids to school. The government's going to come in and they're going to put up a fence around the Capitol during the inauguration and keep the American people away with barbed wire, razor wire troops and fences. People wouldn't have believed it, but that's where we're at. Boris, 20 seconds, please let our folks know where they can follow you. Give them your, your social media coordinates, if you would, please. Thanks so much, Gov Governor. It's been an honor. I look forward to continuing our conversations. At Boris EP on Twitter, Boris underscore Epstein, Boris underscore E-P-S-H-T-E-Y-N on Instagram. God bless. Stay strong. Have a great night. God bless you. Well, folks, follow him. That's Boris Epstein joining us via phone tonight. Always insightful. Great to have him on. Folks, stay right with us because after the break, Dr. Gina is coming on. It's Dr. Gina primetime. As you know, she's always got a great show. We'll be with you in a second.